All right, welcome everyone. It's October now. It's the spooky season. Ooh. So here on Jubilee Street, a music podcast, we're going to celebrate that. I am Ian McCurtis. Sitting across from me in the virtual control room is none other than... Beep, beep, boop. Oh, wait. Sorry. That was my control room robot. Uh, hi, this is Jake. Jake Curtis. <laughs> it was the... Curtis Tron 3000. Yeah. I, and I was working on the new Black Audio record. Oh, good <laughs> reference. Because today we're traveling back to 1999 and we're talking about, I think we would both agree, one of the greatest EPs ever made, the All Hallows EP by AFI. I, we came up with a couple episodes kind of on a whim because Ian's going to be uh, cross-dimensional for a week or two. So we wanted to lock in a couple, put them in the bank. Um, but I think it would be really fun if we went through all, like as, as much as we can remember and try to find all the EPs that we love and like do like a top five EPs episode. Because That'd be a cool episode. EPs don't get enough love. Because this is, like you said, like... I think I like I, I probably like this more than I like full length AFI albums. Like they I agree. They get a lot done in I mean, this thing it can't be yeah, it's it's less than thirteen minutes. It's like right under thirteen minutes. Like this is an insane like it's got it's it covers the Halloween bases, like um it's very like thematically the artwork is this is like some of the best like artwork ever and it fits the band really well, but also like clearly they're doing like a Halloween style thing. So um, I was super excited to talk about this. Let's do a little primer real quick because really if anyone's younger than us or older than us, AFI really only had like maybe an eight to 10 year period of being relevant. Oh yeah. So AFI is a hardcore punk band from, or they were a hardcore punk band, I guess. Now they're, kind of just doing radio rock, mm-hmm. from Northern California, I believe. I can't remember the town. They formed in the early 90s, and they started off doing kind of skate punk. I think they started in high school. Mm-hmm. They morphed into like a Misfits kind of thing. Their singer, Davey Havoc, especially on this EP, is just doing a great Danzig impression. Oh, yeah. Um and then they hit the mainstream in the mid-2000s with all the, like, Taking Back Sunday, My Chemical Romance kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Sing the Sorrow, Kind of turned into a, yeah, kind of turned into a radio rock band, and I think that's still what they're doing now. They're still around today, but I don't think they're nearly as relevant as they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even 20 years ago with this. So I think a lot of people would say this EP is the best thing they ever did. I think we both would say that. And this is kind of just like, for us, for the age we're at, for the music we're into, this is like essential Halloween music. This is, when it starts, autumn starts coming, like this is something you always got to listen to. I can't remember if I had a Thursday. You remember those like 
sweatbands that they would like arm sweatbands that they would sell at Hot Topic that had like bands on them. Yes, I had an AFI one. Okay, so maybe that's what I'm remembering. I think I had a Thursday one. In seventh grade. I thought I was so cool with that thing because that was like my whole identity in high school was like, you know, oh, I like, I guess at that point, anybody who, who didn't really know anything about music would just be like, oh, he just likes emo music and, and metal and, and punk. But yeah, um, AFI I, I, is a name I can't escape from ages like probably... 12 to 20 like they were always around in some capacity i i loved that um december underground record i think i think i even had the cd and um i'm sure i immediately burned it to my ipod and listened to it ad nauseum and there's some good songs on there so let's let's talk about how we first came came to hear this so i remember this pretty distinctly i think i was at the mall and maybe like a journeys and they'd be playing music videos. I think I talked about this on the podcast. I don't remember why, but, uh, they were playing the AFI girls, not gray music video. And it's got that like anime look. It's got that like futurism, noir kind of thing going on. Like it's, it's got a very cool aesthetic. And I was just like, I gotta, I gotta know more about this band. So I got to sing The Sorrow. This would have been 2003, so I was probably in seventh grade, and I just loved it. Like, I was really into Rancid and the Ataris and that kind of uh, Green Day, that kind of like entryway punk, mm-hmm. and AFI was presenting me with something different, something that had more of a aesthetic to it. It was darker. So I love seeing The Sorrow. I was like, let me get one of their older albums, and I got Black Sails in the Sunset, Ooh. and I hated it because I'd never heard music with, like, screaming over it. It was just, I couldn't understand it, you know? So a couple weeks after that, I'm probably at the mall with my dad, probably at FYE, and I decided to check out one more, and I get the All Hallows EP, and that clicked. Even though it has screaming on it, I was like, this is fucking awesome. I, it turned out I knew... One of the songs, Boy Who Destroyed the World from Tony Hawk. I think it's on Tony Hawk 3. Oh, yeah. So I kind of had like, I was like, oh, okay, I know this song. So maybe that's what clicked. But this was like the first thing I ever liked that had screaming on it. And kind of opened the door for me for like the casualties and other bands I'd get into in like eighth grade that were a little heavier. So I don't think that I heard this EP until years after your experience. Um, because I think my first introduction to this was we played a cover show together in 2010 and I liked AFI already and I I was familiar with a couple of their records and you were like, well, why don't we do an AFI cover set? So, and I'm sure you remember this about me, but I fucking hated covers. I didn't want to cover. I only wanted to play our own music. I thought it was like cheap and... But it was it was a Halloween show yeah. where a bunch of people were all gonna you know basically pretend to be other bands for the night. So yeah, so it was like you know Weezer cover set and uh, Modest Mouse, all kind. Of, everybody picked a band to like be for the night. That, so we were like, let's do AFI. That was just a theme for me throughout that band's life. Like I think after that performance, pretty shortly I quit and joined another band for a little while. 
uh, and then I came back to Via Animo. Um, and covers were always like a thing. Like I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to fuck them up. I, I, it's hard to play songs like other bands because I was a very like the way that I learned a guitar was I, which is ironic, is I just played other bands' music, but I never wanted to like covering seemed too intimidating to me. So I took on the well, challenge. You're, you're more, you're much more of a technical. Or at least at the time, at the you time were, for sure, than me. So like, it was probably a lot of pressure for you because, especially the guitar player of AFI is pr- pretty technical for punk music. So you were probably like, I have to get every little lick in how it is on the record. Exactly. Whereas that's just not how my mind works. But I'm that's like, not. Yeah, that's as long as we capture the feeling of the song. Who cares? I didn't really get that punk mentality until we started playing our own music live, and I would just like screw up all the time and. Still, even the shows where we messed up, other than a couple that we've talked about on the podcast before, like, I always had a blast. I don't remember hardly anything about this show. I remember screaming so loud for the Fall Children, like, chorus drop, where it's just like, Fall Children! And, like, um, gosh, I can't remember that dude's name, but um, he, he was super into AFI, and he was one of those kind of like scene, like hardcore guys. Um, he looked a lot like Ian MacKay, or, uh, mixed with the uh, dad from, um, oh shoot, what's that? I can't think of his, that show. Yes, dear. There was a dad from yesterday that he looked like. <laughs> um, that old TV sitcom that no one watched probably. Uh, so you were like, let's do The Boy Who Destroyed the World and Fall Children. And then I think we covered... I want a mohawk, but mom will let me get one. Yeah, and Lost Souls. And Lost Souls. So we did an Art of Drowning song. Um, I don't know. I can't recall the name of the uh, mohawk song record. Uh, What's it called? Yeah, it's on one of the first two records. I I can't remember. It's on one of the first two. That one's really fun because it's just kind of straightforward, like silly punk, which for our friend group at the time, like that was probably more their thing. But I think we, like, I remember after that, I could not get enough of those of that of that All Hallows EP. I loved the spookiness of it. I loved all the music interludes, and I think this is a good way to transition into what I think is probably the best achievement of it, which could sound like it could kind of be like what you don't like like the original tracks. And it's like the Halloween cover that they do on that album is one of my favorite covers of a song ever. Like it sounds like AFI, but it also sounds like the Misfits. And then they have that... What's great about it is the Misfits wrote great songs, but all the recordings sound like shit. Every Misfits song sounds horrible, recording-wise. And I'm not even... That's not usually something I care about, and even I notice it. Like, every... You know, they just sound horrible. So what's great is this era, AFI sounded just like the Misfits. So it's like getting... What are the Misfits recorded in a nice studio? Yeah. You know? I remember when I became friends with James Rooney in high school, he wanted me to learn London Dungeon. So I looked up the song and I, I, I fucking hated it. I was like, I can't even understand, like, I can't even hear the guitar, really. And I think this is like a really cool gift that AFI gave everybody where it's like, here's, an, here's a version of Halloween. It sounds pretty similar to the Misfits if they had a good recording setup, but it's also got Davey Havoc's like kind of signature like emo drawl. Like the, oh, you know, he just has that, he just has mm-hmm. such a patented um, voice, 
Like, there's no one that I think sounds like him. He sounds like people, or people sound like him, but I think that Davey Havoc, like, whenever I hear AFI, I'm like, I can, I can, I try to sing like him. It's like with Tom DeLonge. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. there's a very specific way that Tom DeLonge sings that, like, everybody kind of emulates and makes fun of. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I love that cover. I think the great thing... So I fell off of AFI after seeing The Sorrow mm-hmm. when Miss Murder came out. I mean, I was like in fresh, a freshman in high school, but I was like, this ain't it. Like, I don't like this. Yeah. And I think as they transition to a, into a pop band, they're trying to hit these big choruses. But let's be honest, Davey Havoc sucks at writing lyrics. Like, they're just gibberish. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be this pop band that's writing these big emotional choruses... There's got to be something to latch on to, like yeah. It just, it just, it didn't work uh, for me. What makes this EP great is the lyrics don't matter. This EP is just about capturing Halloween. the autumn, Halloween feeling. Yeah, like so he can just say jack o' lanterns and leaves change color. Like he can just throw out all these like cliche phrases, and it d- really doesn't matter. Like this is this is like the perfect thing for what Davey Havoc did. I always listen to this EP at least once during Halloween. It's my fa- probably my favorite Halloween music. Yeah, it's just so it's just so fun. It's you know I would highly encourage anyone who's uh, listening to this that has never heard it just put it on. It's like Jake said, like twelve minutes, and it's just like like watching Hocus Pocus yeah. or Night Before Christmas. It's just like a great way to like get in the season. It's great. Like, for me, because I live in San Diego, like, it's kind of eternal desert. Like, it gets cool at night, but this is so great in the Midwest and, like, New England and wherever it gets cold during October because you can put a hoodie on, maybe your AFI hoodie and some black jeans, put a little eyeshadow on um, and mascara, and then go in, go to your car, grab your grab your sweetheart or a friend and just fucking like rip down the street, open your windows, like let that cool autumn air, and just like, you know, um, remember when we were all so beautiful? It's just so fun. It's such a fun out. Like the songs are also. I wish I think we captured it with Via Animo, but I think that what we love about this music, and I, I, I think you would probably agree with this. And this is why people like punk, you know, and it's, it's fun. This is, this is music that is fun. It's really well written. It sounds great. Like the sound quality of this album for a punk record, it was the late 90s. So by then, you know, if you, you didn't really have an excuse unless you were home recording. Um, it just, it makes you feel good. And, and I think the older we get, you know, I typically tend to generate or not generate, go back to stuff that makes me feel good because, you know, new music is more uncomfortable. Like, let's just be honest about that. Like, I think a lot of people, we talk about this all the time, you know, they don't go back to, they don't go to, they don't listen to new music as much because they'd rather just listen to like that Radiohead record that made them feel so good 15 years ago. Now, I'm not like that. I like checking out new music, but I've definitely slowed down that pace. Ian, I think, has, like, he has always loved music to an extent that I admire like he's just always looking for stuff to listen to and you know new experiences like musically so I don't know I that's kind of where this album sits for me it's very special to me it's 
it's just, it's a lot of fun. I said fun like 20 times. No, but that's the perfect word because I think when AFI stopped trying to be fun is when they stopped being great. When they started trying to like, Davey Havoc's not Nick Cave. Yeah. That's just not his talent. When he started trying to write these big songs with emotional climaxes, I just don't think that's his talent. Yeah. They were at their best when they were a fun band writing fun songs. I went to this festival in L.A. like right after we moved here um, called Circle V, and this band called Dream Car was playing, and Haley was talking about him. She's like, yeah, Dream Car's going to play next. Like this like rapper, singer guy, Rory, had just played, and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, you know, like let's go get something to eat, and then we'll come back and watch him. So I come back in, and I'm like, why do I recognize this lead singer? And wouldn't you know it, but Davey Havoc is in Dream Car. I think actually... Maybe I didn't even have that revelation. I think I texted you a picture and you were like, is that Davey Havoc's band? <laughs> and uh, Yeah, Dream Car is, uh, it's no doubt without Gwen Stefani, yeah. but with Davey Havoc. And Davey Havoc doesn't look anything like I remember him because you, you got to keep in mind that, you know, everybody kind of has their time capsule. I'm sure certain people like remember Nick Cave a certain way. Um, well, Nick Cave's had the same look. Davey Havoc changes his look every three or four years pretty drastically. I always think of Davey Havoc with like sleeveless, Black jeans, boots, and like, kind of looks like uh, Nightcrawler from the first couple X Men movies. I think of him with the long hair from Seeing Sorrow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people probably think of him with the swoop. I think of him a lot with of the them swoop. probably think of him with the, the fucking pompadour kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he just had a lot of different looks. In another world, Nightcrawler definitely was in AFI. Like he probably played like <laughs> guitar. Um, I I don't know why, but I think it might be more fitting that Nightcrawler in another universe was in the bad seeds uh, during like the later era. Like all, any song that has anything to do with God, Nightcrawler gets a writing Well, instead of, uh, instead of the German and the band being Blixa, the German was Nightcrawler. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think the only track that I don't remember as much on this record, which is funny because it's the single, is Total Immortal. Do you have any feelings about that song in particular? I kind of gravitate more towards the first three tracks, but... I, I do like Total Immortal. That song I might have heard the most just because I also had the greatest hits um, AFI CD, yep. and that's on there. It's hard for me to even pick a favorite. I think the genius about this is, like, they could have made a full length around this. Mm-hmm. You have three 10 out of 10 singles. Such a missed opportunity. I don't think it is, though, because instead of, let's add six more songs and make it a full length, because yeah. we have three perfect songs. Let's just put out three perfect songs and a great cover and call it a day. And there's no filler. It's four perfect songs. That I do agree with. I just mean if they... I would like to hear like seven or eight more songs that capture this same essence, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think Art of Drowning and even Black Sails have this vibe, but... I don't think a single song on either of those records is as good as any of these three. There are three originals on here. Yeah. It's just perfect. It, yeah, it, it perfect. That's that's the way I would describe it. Um I yeah, I don't have any I don't have any other like words for it. I, I this is one of those albums like I feel pretty similarly about the first couple of Joyce Manor records, I think are all like pretty short. They're all like succinct. Like I think you can do a lot in I, I think that's why I like this kind of music and I like, you know, pro- I liked prog rock around this same time too, is that you could do a lot in an eight minute song. You could do even more in a two minute song. And mm-hmm. AFI proves that here. 
So I had a pretty great experience this morning. I, I, I was listening to it on a drive, and it was like in the 50s. It was, you know, it's starting to get fall here. New segment. It was just a great, a great drive listening to music. And I was thinking if there was like a goth Mount Rushmore, I think Nick Cave would definitely be on it. You know, it's four people. Would you put Davey Havoc on the on the goth Mount Rushmore? I mean, yeah, probably. And then I guess Gerard Way would have to go up there too, right? Or would he be more like emo? I, I think, so I was trying to fill it out. So I'd, I'd go Nick Cave, Robert Smith and the Cure, Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees. I don't think their music is as great as Nick Cave or Robert Smith, but just... Vi- like fashion wise, aesthetic wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I think of goth, I think of Susie Sue's look. And then the fourth person, I don't know. Maybe maybe Davy ha- Davy Havoc for like a more current person. I don't know. That's so funny. I don't think of Nick Cave as goth. He doesn't he doesn't register like that for me. I guess you know post. I don't know nineteen ninety five post two thousand. Not really, but I feel like the birthday party and early Nick Cave is like so crucial to goth culture it's it's funny there's an argument to be made that nick cave was crucial to like so many little subgenres aside from goth to like no wave music true uh but that is that is a difference is uh i mean robert smith has always been robert smith he still looks the way he did in the 80s nick cave definitely doesn't align with like what you think of as goth anymore yeah Davy Havoc, I guess, would be a good fit for the new wave, and then we put Susie Sue on there. So, I think that's good. I mean, I'd even want to throw somebody. Hit us like, up Jubilee Street Pod at gmail dot com with your Goth Mount Rushmore. I'd even want to throw like maybe Lydia Lunch or something up there. She has a very like kind of, you know. Yeah, I don't think she's uh, as popular, but I think she's as influential. You know. She just has that, like... Lydia Lunch is influential darkness. on so much music that's not goth, on, like, noisier Sonic Youth kind of stuff. Yeah, she she's definitely, like... She's obviously, like, less famous than Nick, but I think her influence is, like, more far-reaching as far as, like... Like, she did an album... She did a couple tracks with Nicholas Jar from... Uh, mm-hmm. He does that Against All Logic project, and that's kind of, like, you know, electronic, dance, like, house music, so... She reaches her her influences reach her the people that she's inspired reach further than just outside of her circle. Um, but yeah, no. I guess you could say you could say Trent Reznor. I guess you used to be able to say Marilyn Manson, but I've never liked him, and I certainly don't like him now. Canceled. Um, yeah, and, and no comment. I I only know like one Marilyn Manson song. I know Mike liked Marilyn back in the day, but I can't even recall a Marilyn Manson track. Uh, so. I'll, and you could say Danzig, but Danzig's a jerk. Yeah, it sucks that Danzig's a jerk, but we do get a lot of great content, uh, like weird content around Danzig. Like the, isn't there that picture of him carrying cat litter, or is that a different person? Yeah, at least he's a lovable jerk. He's not like yeah, uh, he could be like fucking Van like, Morrison you know, or something, you know? Yeah, I don't think he's nearly as like problematic as Van Morrison, and definitely not as like a Marilyn Manson. He's just a. Uh, out of touch jerk. One of our favorite things to talk about when we were going to shows is like we would we would ask each other like who do you think is going to end up being like a conservative Republican who's coming to these shows mm. and you know fucked up and like mosh pitting and uh, 
Mosh pitting sounds like something a 40-year-old would say. Moshing. <laughs> um, are you going to mosh pit or something? Mosh pitting around? And it, it Danzig, like, doesn't quite fit that bill, but I think it's a good example of, like, when you get older, you get a little more conservative. And I think, I don't want to speak for Ian here, but as I've gotten older, I've definitely, like, concerned myself less with a lot of things that I used to just, like, get wrapped up in for no reason. And I'm not saying, like, I don't care about, you know, important things going on in the world. I just mean, like, there's a lot of stuff that people get more conservative about as far as, like, you know... I try to like you naturally take less risks. I think I just try to mind more of my own business. I, you know, I try not to like, I try to impact other people as little as possible. I'm not saying that this is really connected to Danzig, but yeah, no, I, I'll get off that, that tangent. It's not really, I know what you mean. I definitely, you know, ideologically, I don't feel myself getting more conservative, but I, I understand now how it happens. I still think it's fucked up. Yeah. But like, yeah, that's what I'm, I, I have an understanding of it. That's what I'm saying is like, I'm not politically or mentally or sociologically becoming more conservative. I think that that word has been, you know, weaponized to like, you know, pit liberal people, conservative people against each other. I think that people forget that those words had meaning besides, you know, owning the libs and that kind of thing. Now, speaking of Danzig, right after they released, uh, AFI released the CP. They went on tour opening for Danzig, which is pretty cool. That's great. a pretty cool like uh, passing of the torch moment, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then af- after this, Davey Havoc formed this band called Son of Sam mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that had members of bands Danzig was in. And that was another sort of like, you know, I feel like Davey Havoc was poised to be the next Danzig and then AFI went another direction, but. Yeah, I um, I was gonna ask you that. That leads me to a fun question here. If I think you and I both intimately know the history of Vianimo, and I think we both recognize that had it gone differently, like if we if things had worked better and had not ended in the way that they did, there was a good chance we could have had more success at that time, and. Had that been the case, what band do you think would have been like serendipitous for us to open for if we did achieve like any sort of mainstream success at that time? Like in the same way that like AFI got to open for Danzig. I'm trying to think for what we were doing. Man, I don't know. I felt like I know this is like very big headed to say, but I felt like what we what we were doing was pretty original. I I really don't know. And maybe someone else would listen to what we were doing and be like, you guys are ripping off this band. I'm saying, because I... I don't know. I There were times, and you know this, or if you don't, then I'll reveal it now, but there were times where like I hated what we were playing, and a lot of it was stuff that you had come up with. Now, flash forward to now, I'm looking back at the kind of music that you wrote. I mean, all of those songs until we got to the stuff that never got recorded was all conceived by like you and Corey. And I look back on it, and I'm like, this shit is so much more interesting than anything I did with any other band because of what was happening around it, you know? So I hope that comes off like a compliment, like I mean it to, because... I know what you mean. I, w- I was I was writing past my, like, the ideas I had were bigger than what I knew, technically knew how to accomplish. I think now it would be a lot better. Yeah, and... But maybe that was the charm of what we were doing is... 
I just don't think any of us, even me who was so like, oh, I want to play like technical and finger pick and finger tap and stuff. Like, I think like songs like Rosary and Latex, like, and then we had that one track that was just like kind of happy sounding for a while. You know, it's like got that very like G chord forward, um, like verse in the beginning. Like all that stuff was like, there were not bands doing stuff like that. And you didn't you didn't play guitar like a guitar player. You you played it like you were like I want to play music, I want to be in a band. Like that's why that band worked and that's why I don't harbor any guilt anymore. At the time I felt very guilty about how it ended. And I I wish it had gone differently, obviously, but that's why like it was you you just you just wanted to like get out in front of people and like scream your lungs out and the music was just an arbiter for that and that's why it was interesting because you didn't really know what you were doing sometimes and i think that that has always been my my dynamic with you is i'm like i don't think that ian really knows what he's doing on the guitar right now and it would be really cool and i'd be like fuck i wish i could come up with stuff like that you know and and there was a lot of jealousy I mean, that's always been, um, I guess, my philosophy for better or worse. Because there's times where, like, I wish I was better at guitar or any musical thing. But I've always kind of, like, on purpose not let myself learn music theory and get that technical. Because right. I like I like the kind of chords I write. Because I feel like if I knew how to play guitar really well, I wouldn't play how I play. Because it would be, like, quote-unquote wrong. And what's so funny is it... For better or worse. It, sometimes that's a hindrance, sometimes it's good. It wasn't until after Android 18 that I think I really truly adopted a punk mindset with playing music because that's when I got into making like music on my computer and like with a synthesizer and just like just by myself. And like I view all of the music I put out with Gabriel Ha as more punk than anything that I... I mean, I think Vianimo had a lot of punk stuff in it, but... As far as the mentality of punk, I view all of that Gabriel Ha stuff as like way more interesting because for one thing, it sounds really bad. <laughs> like it, I'm not saying that punk sounds bad. I just mean like I was swinging for the fences. I had no idea what I was doing sometimes. I was watching videos. I was trying to figure it out on the fly. But all of that material is so much more interesting to me. And when I listen back and I go through my Bandcamp page of all the like weird shit I put out for like a year, year, year and a half, two years straight. I was like, wow, this is all like very interesting. So anyway, sorry for all the the music talk there um, or like, I don't know, history talk for us listeners. Hopefully that wasn't too boring. That's where you get all the most, your interesting like stuff that I think really comes from deep inside you is when you don't know what you're doing because you're just, you have to do it on the fly. Yeah. That, that was why I love the Gabriel Haas stuff because you were like, didn't know, especially at the beginning, you didn't know how to use Ableton that well. You never made electronic music, and you're like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make it anyway." Mm-hmm. And that's that's cool. I mean, that's what you see. That's why Nick Cave switches up the kind of music he does so often. I'm sure because it's like, let me get outside my comfort zone. Well, that's why all the the new Nick Cave material, especially that Earthlings B side they just released, uh, check out our Spotify and Apple Music channel to find that episode, download it, rate and subscribe. Uh, because it sounds like stuff that I was working on during that period of time where it was just like, oh, I'm just going to make this like synth loop and then record a little guitar mm-hmm. over it and then just do some like Radiohead 
kind of vocals over it. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate the compliment. But yeah, that's all Hollow's EP. We knew this would be an episode where we were just talking about. Uh, We'd probably end up reminiscing together yeah. because. Yeah, because this this EP is like very important to our friendship. It was very important to me in like middle school, high school. This is just one of the most like iconic records in my life, really. Like, as far as introducing me to different kinds of music and just being something I return to every year around this time. I think Ian would agree with the sentiment that all of our most pivotal f- moments as friends were the moments like at shows experiencing music together and then, you know, before and after that, the anticipation, the anxiety, um, and then, you know, going to get pizza or stopping and getting like Taco Bell or something on the way home and just like putting on like a, you know, Matt and Kim record or something and just like talking over it about how much we enjoyed like, you know, oh yeah, Jake just like got down on the floor and started playing like four drums during La Dispute or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that second to last Mountain of Sleep show where Jake pulled out or Jake Snyder pulled out like a little notebook and just started reading from it. And Jake Philly did all that, like kind of like wangly, like twangy stuff on his guitar. And then, you know, Jake Snyder opens up the pit and, you know, everybody does a wall of death and like all those experiences that we had. And and that's why All Howl's EP, I think, ultimately is so important to us is that we got to like we shared this like probably probably in hindsight messy experience with like a room of people and i think we got a couple people to mosh and i think we got a couple people to sing along and we weren't perfect but i think that's that's our that's our message now as like 30 year old like you know getting up there like we're not old but we're getting there and it's just like anyone listen out there listening that like wants to start a band and i know it's even harder now with like pandemic stuff like you know, just put your mask on and find somebody with a garage and just go start doing it because there's never a better time than the present. And I would say without a doubt, like, even when I was being a pill and, like, a dick to my band members and, you know, there was never a time I had more fun than, like, when we would get into the zone rehearsing in my my parents' basement and then we'd go out, we'd load up, you know, every every time we'd have to like load up and then load out, and you know, music's really important to us both. So that's why we do this podcast. That's why we did this special episode because you know this stuff means a lot to us. And I think this record like really showed me the possibility of punk because Jade Puget is like an amazing guitar player. He could be in a prog rock band. He could be shredding with. I don't know, fucking famous guitarists that I don't care about. Yeah, I mean... And you showed he's me He's playing hardcore... Like, th- this band shows you that, like, you can do anything with punk music, and that really meant a lot to me because I, you know... In middle school, when I was first listening to the genre, it was your more basic stuff, and this opened up a possibility of, like, wow, like, you can be technical and play hardcore punk still. You can sing about goofy shit in Halloween and play hardcore punk like you can you can make it be whatever you want to be yeah now i just feel like i want to fly out to the alternate dimension and just you know fly Corey out and just like do like our own like four track like all how was ep <laughs> i i would i i think it'd be i i, I unfortunately rarely play music anymore i always have the in, inclination to but i've just been distracted by other hobbies and um 
so I don't know how like great my guitar playing would be, but I think I still got it. And I think I think it'd be cool if we just all put out like four tracks like this and you know, just rambling, you know, be fun. Maybe it'll happen. It would be fun. I uh Jubilee Street podcast album. People should do this should do this more. Like if you have four perfect songs, just put them out. Yeah. All killer, no filler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that about wraps it up for me. Um, Ian, you have anything else you want to add about All Hallows EP? No, that's about it. Everybody, uh, JubileeStreetPod at gmail.com. Like I said, hit us with the Gotham Out Russian War. I, I think that'd be really fun to hear what people thought. Hit us with... Uh, I'm sure everybody has you know, a, a certain genre of music or a certain record they put on when it starts to get cold again. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Like, what's your fall music? Oh. This is definitely it for me. I've got a great record for that. We'll talk about it after the podcast. Is, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, hit us up. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Oh,